0: My name is Paul Riley, also known as Political Paul, and this is The Riley Rant, a weekly podcast where we discuss all things political, professional, and personal. Let's rant. Thank you for tuning in to the 10th official episode of The Riley Rant. Here at The Riley Rant, we discuss all things political, professional, and personal. And if you've been following us, you know that two weeks ago, following my birthday, we did a personal rant where I gave you advice after 24 years of living. Last week, I teamed up with a friend and former colleague, Alex Blanton, where we discussed the professional landscape and choosing yourself and how to take big risks in your life and your career. So realizing that two weeks ago, I discussed the personal Last week, I discussed the professional. I thought it was only right today to discuss the political. And there is so, so, so much happening in the political landscape, especially this week where the House is set to vote on repealing Obamacare on the House floor. And so that's going to be significant to see if that vote passes and what happens once it moves on to the Senate and if it's ultimately signed into law by Donald Trump. But as we begin to think about Thursday... Um, I want to ensure that you all are equipped with the knowledge and the understanding of what happened, how we ended up in this predicament, what the Republicans are trying to do so that you can ultimately leave this episode informed and compelled to potentially take action to allow your voice to be heard. As the implications are significant, not only for the elderly and the poor, but also for those individuals who may not be able to pay for or afford health care which turns out to be millions and millions of americans and so before diving into the actual crux of the american health care act which is the republicans response to obamacare want to first provide some historical context so as you may all remember obama takes office in t- 2008 defeats john mccain he enters the white house in january 2009 with a democrat controlled house and senate and this is a president's dream to have Congress, controlled by his or her own party, that allows for them to easily implement laws, that allows for them to easily get their agenda through the Congress and, and, and put into to law. And so throughout 2009 and 2010, were, the Democrats capitalized on this power and rolled out the Affordable Care Act, also known as Obamacare. And so throughout the process, Republicans are pissed. They're in the minority party. They have no control. This Health Care Act has been pushed into law, and they are railing against it and saying that if they get power, if they regain control of the House, the Senate, and the White House, they're going to do everything within their power to repeal it. And so over the course of Obama's two terms as president, you start to see Republicans gaining ground and and taking back control of the different branches of government. So first in 2008, again, Democrats control the House and Senate. Two years later, though, in 2010, the House is uh, taken back by the Republicans. And so this is a knock to uh, the president, but it's not by any means unusual. Past president and past phenomena show that The president is likely to lose a number of seats to the opposing party during the first midterm elections following their national election. So for Obama, 2010 was going to be a year where it wasn't surprising to see him lose a certain number of seats. I think that many of the Democrats were surprised by the significance of of the loss of those seats and and how much uh, power the Republicans were able to, to regain, but still, they were in an okay position because they still had control of the Senate and of the White House, and so they could still try to find compromise to get things passed. Of course, we realize we enter this era of divided government where that's not happening at all. Republicans are obstructing as much as they can. The Tea Party is emerging at this time, and they're not compromising on anything, and they want to repeal Obamacare. They think it's a disaster. So fast forward four years after 2010. We're in 2014 now, and Republicans take control of the Senate. Um, And so this is where Obama's really tied, hands tied behind his back in terms of what he can do. And again, we see more legislation from Congress trying to repeal Obamacare. Of course, Obama as president is going to veto those measures. And it's not until, as we all know, 2016, uh, that's when Trump takes over um, as president. The White House is controlled by the Republicans, and now they control the Congress and the White House and the legislative agenda and process. So that's how we ended up in this predicament that we're in today where we're revisiting health care. It's primarily because Republicans since two thousand ten have been fighting to repeal it and they now have the power to do so. But here's the catch. With this power, they can't seem to find a unified way to repeal and replace Obamacare. So of course when you when the Republicans, you know, talk about repealing Obamacare, there's going to be frustration and and lack of consensus with Democrats on, on taking this action because that's their landmark legislation. They really believe it's doing a lot of good for a lot of people across the country. So it's understandable that they're opposed to any repeal and replace measures for Obamacare. But perhaps what's even more surprising and even more striking is the friction that's been created within the Republican Party. So you have the conservative wing, with individuals like Senator Rand Paul of Kentucky, who are saying we need to repeal Obamacare. This American Health Care Act is a small step in that direction, but it's really Obamacare light, as he notes it. And he says, if this bill in its current form comes to the Senate, it's dead on arrival. So you have the conservative wing saying this doesn't go far enough. You have the moderate wing of the party with people like susan collins she's a republican senator from maine saying this proposal by paul ryan this american health care act goes too far It, it, it actually does more harm than good to the american people i can't support this and so you have this friction between the conservative and moderate wings of the republican party But beyond that, beyond our lawmakers, you have national associations and advocacy groups coming out against this. You have the American Medical Association, the American Hospital Association, the American Nurses Association, AARP. They're all coming out and blasting this plan, saying that it's not going to help the American people. It's going to leave more uh, individuals uninsured and underinsured. And so that's the historical context around this. It's around... Republicans being opposed to this from the very start over the last seven or so years, regaining control of the House, the Senate and the White House. And now they can actually put their words into action. They can actually start to repeal Obamacare, but there's going to be some tension around how that goes about happening. So with that context, let's dive into what the American Health Care Act entails what they're seeking to accomplish and if you take a deeper look at this you'll see just how significant the implications are if this is to be passed in the house and senate and signed by donald trump so first one thing that these this plan does is it removes fines for individuals who don't have insurance which was noted as the individual mandate under obamacare so for those of you who are not familiar with health care when you have an insurance carrier creating a pool of, of, of people to insure, their goal and their desire is to spread out the risk as much as possible. So if I have an insurance pool, I want to make sure that I have a nice mix of individuals who are older who may incur more expenses in healthcare, And I want to balance that out with individuals who are younger, oftentimes healthier, who may not spend as much on healthcare, but still want to be covered doing that helps to spread out the risk of my insurance pool so i have a a nice mix of people who are healthy and people with pre-existing conditions so that if i have to spend more money on those people with pre-existing conditions or those older individuals in the pool i will be able to still have some money left over and and the pool of resources won't be depleted from individuals who need their coverage covered um, under the plan so basically, in some, you want to spread out the risk as much as possible to ensure that you have enough money to cover the expenses incurred within the pool. But when you remove the fines for no insurance, you basically incentivize younger, healthier people to leave these health plans because if they're not going to be penalized with a tax penalty, they have no reason to have insurance to begin with. And so what this does is it allows for younger, healthier individuals to leave. And now you're left with that pool, going back to the example of the insurance pool, now you're left with a pool of people who are potentially older or with pre-existing conditions who are going to cost a lot to cover and insure because they're often going to need to see doctors and, and to visit medical clinics and hospitals. And so what happens is you have a high risk pool that you have to raise the premiums within those pools which ultimately leaves the people in those pools worse off because they're paying a significantly higher amount for coverage, which ultimately means that they may not be able to maintain that level of coverage because it just becomes too expensive. So that's one of the ramifications of the Republicans removing the individual mandate. By removing that, you're basically creating pools that are high risk that will raise premiums for individuals within them, which will ultimately make the health insurance unaffordable. When thinking about the unaffordable nature of this insurance, it's important to also note the major change that's occurring within the American Health Care Act. So if you have Obamacare, the way they determine your price point is by looking at how much insurance costs in your area and then taking a look at how much you make. So it's basically an income-based subsidy model where I'm looking at how much you make, how much it costs in your area, and then deciding how much you can realistically pay. The American Health Care Act, also known as Trump Care, doesn't do that at all. It, it, it goes beyond looking at income and it basically affords an age based tax credit. So basically, as you sort of get older, the amount in your tax credit increases as well. But the problem is that that tax credit, um, as certain reports are showing, is not going to be enough to make up for. Uh, the loss of those income-based subsidies that Obamacare afforded. And a clear example of this is actually in a report by the Congressional Budget Office, which is an independent, um, nonpartisan group that that assesses the implications of legislation. They note that if you are, for example, 64 years old and you make around $26,500 per year, under Obamacare, when you're looking at your income and the costs in your area, you're likely going to pay $1,700 uh, in premiums annually. So $1,700 for the whole year gets you that coverage that you need on a, a salary of $26,500. Under Trump care, that number rises dramatically. The Congressional Budget Office, the CBO estimates that if you are a 64 year old making $26,500 under the Trump plan, you are essentially going to pay $14,000 in premiums. So, almost half of your salary, more than half of your salary under Trump care, is going to go to health care. And so, for millions of older individuals who rely on those subsidies, they're now going to have to make a tough decision. Do I pay for my living? Do I pay for food or do I pay for health care? And realistically speaking, those individuals are likely going to choose the living expenses and the food over health care. And so, what this means is that you now have elderly individuals who can't afford health care. And this is the group that oftentimes needs it the most. And so, that's one of the implications of Trump care is that this age based Tax credit versus the income based subsidies offered under Obamacare are actually going to leave certain elderly individuals in a predicament where they're paying insanely high rates for their insurance, which ultimately will make them uninsured as they can't possibly afford that. And so that's another area in which Trump care has a direct impact on the American people. But perhaps the most significant and direct. Way in which you, the listener, may feel the effects of, of Trump Care and the repeal of Obamacare is through the Medicaid expansion. So, in Obamacare, they did what we call Medicaid expansion. So, Medicaid is insurance and resources offered to uh, the poor, oftentimes children, are the most vulnerable in society, individuals who don't have the resources to cover themselves in case of illness or disease. And so What this plan does is it removes the Medicaid expansion. So under Obamacare, what they said to the states is that if you opt in, we will give you federal funding to cover Medicaid expenses and to allow you to bring more of your residents in your state onto health care plans that are affordable, that will allow them to get access to the coverage they need to preventative care, things of that sort. And so this was very popular of the 50 or so states. 31 states signed up for expanded coverage and the increased federal spending. And of those 31 states, over half of those states have a Republican governor who desperately wants this money to remain in place. They would be in dire constraints if this federal funding was stripped away. And that's what Trump's plan does. In 2020, it eliminates the funding for the Medicaid expansion, and it leaves it to the states to then try to figure out how they're going to get their states on the health care roll. Additionally, another controversial aspect of this policy under the Trump care of eliminating Medicaid expansion in 2020 is that within that Medicaid expansion is coverage for individuals who suffer from chemical dependency, drug dependency. And as you may know, or as many of you may not know, we're going through an opioid crisis in many parts of the country where opioid addiction and overdose is running rampant in communities. It knows no color, it knows no income, it knows no region. It's it's really impacting a significant number of people. And on the campaign trail, Trump said that fighting this opioid epidemic was his top priority, uh, but this plan just simply doesn't reflect that. And so by not expanding Medicaid past 2020, you're allowing for more people to fall off of insurance plans that would cover them and, and allow for preventative care, but you're also removing vital care around substance abuse and, and, and chemical dependency that's going to hurt and limit people's ability, particularly governors' abilities, to provide resources to their residents who are struggling with the opioid epidemic. The CBO, as I mentioned before, has highlighted that this is going to hurt millions of Americans. They project that in 10 years, 24 million more individuals be, will be uninsured following this plan. They also say that many are going to lose coverage and that medical costs are going to increase, some for some, upwards of 15 to 20%. So these are the very real implications of this. And I, strangely enough, we're in a predicament where the Republican Party also appears to be shifting in its perspective on, on health coverage and on who deserves it. When you look at Pew Research Center data in the election of Trump and how he brought in different people to the Republican Party, what they show and what they found is that Republicans making less than thirty thousand dollars believe that the government has a responsibility to ensure coverage for all. That sits at fifty-two percent now. So, majority of Republicans making less than thirty thousand believe that the government has a responsibility to ensure coverage. That's up from 31% last year. But then between the income bracket of $30,000 and $75,000, Republicans in that bracket, 34% think that the government uh, has a responsibility to ensure coverage for all. That's up 20% from last year where it's set at 14%. So you're seeing this weird dynamic within the Republican Party where you have conservatives against it, moderates against it, conservatives don't think it goes far enough, moderates think it goes too far. And then within the voting Republican electorate, you have poor Republicans or lower income Republicans saying that the government has to ensure that we have coverage. And then you're seeing an increase and a swing in public opinion of individuals making between $30,000 and $75,000. Republicans who feel that, a third feel that the government has a responsibility. So this leads me to, I guess, the final aspect of, of the rant, around this crisis that we're we're now dealing with and I, and I think it's a crisis around the republican identity and, and are they going to continue to be a party centered on limited government removing government from the decision making process empowering people to make decisions just as their leader you know Donald Trump and republicans in these lower income brackets are starting to say that we need to actually do more. We actually have to get more involved in protecting Americans and, and, and taking care of them with respect to healthcare. So that's something that's important to, to look out for, that disruption, that, that, that friction that's building up. And I think that the Republican Party is going to have to ask itself a very real and serious question around how far do we go with standing by these principles of limited government, specifically with respect to health care, when you see a president and also Individuals in the party who feel that coverage is a responsibility that the government has to the people. And so keep an eye out on the healthcare debate. I, prior to even launching the Riley Rant, when I got my corneal transplant, realized the significance and the importance of healthcare and actually shared a little blurb on Instagram and Facebook just talking about my thoughts on it. And one thing that I said at the end of my post was that both sides need to come together and realize that beyond the policy debates and statistics, there are actual people with families, goals, dreams, and desires who must live with the consequences of inaction or complacency with the system that leaves many uninsured or underinsured. I have a clear understanding that Obamacare can be improved upon. I have a clear understanding that Obamacare is not perfect. We have premiums rising. We have insurance carriers leaving the program because they just can't afford it. We have individuals living in areas where they only have one provider, which limits competition, and so there are definitely areas in which Obamacare can be improved. I guess my question is would it be better to iterate and improve upon what we currently have than to take a half-handed attempt at repealing it but actually making individuals worse off by doing what Rand Paul calls Obamacare light and not actually addressing the real problems. And that's the problem with this healthcare act proposed by the Republicans. It attacks Obamacare while keeping in many of its provisions, and it does so in a way that strips it of the protections that would actually allow for it to be affordable for millions of Americans. And so it's up to you all to stay informed on this topic, to follow it, and to hold your representatives accountable because we have to live in a country where people have the ability to have access to preventative care because that's where this problem starts from. Many of these problems we're seeing come from people not having access to preventative care that could have caught on to this stuff, attacked it early on, and really allowed the person to recover. But we have a system of inaction and and complacency where we're leaving millions left uninsured and underinsured. And when you're uninsured or underinsured, you're less likely to be proactive around taking care of issues with respect to your health, which ultimately leaves us all worse off. I say we should become more proactive in our approach. We should allow for easy, affordable access to coverage so that when people go to the hospital, they are covered, but then beyond that, they are proactive and, and comfortable with getting those preventative checkups, which in my mind make all the difference. So that's my my initial thought and thoughts on the American Health Care Act Trump Care. I hope that you leave this episode with more of a clear understanding of what's at stake, of what changes are trying to be impl- implemented, and how they're going to impact not only that 64 year old that I used in the example earlier, but also individuals who are in a predicament where they may need health coverage, when they're in a predicament where They may find out that they have a disease or illness, and they need access to quality health care. We have to make sure that as many Americans as possible have the opportunity to realize the benefits of health care and health insurance and preventative care, because that's what I believe this country is about, and, and that's what we should be striving for. And so be curious to see how, if, and when the Republicans push past and reconcile this idea of limited government with the very real need of understanding that American lives are at stake, and how do we reconcile our ideological preferences and policy preferences with real human needs. Thank you for tuning in to the 10th official episode of The Riley Rant. Remember, if it's Sunday, it's time to rant. If it's Sunday, it's The Riley Rant.